Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We find out about the earliest days of our solar system by studying tiny fragments of it. Asteroids and meteorites can tell us a lot about the formation of our solar system. And if we look at dwarf planets and study their composition and isotopes, we can learn how our solar system was formed and where things might have come from, not just inside our solar system, but beyond it. On the 16th of October, NASA launched yet another robotic mission to explore our solar system, and in particular, dive into the details of how our solar system was formed by studying some of the, well, leftover scraps or pieces left behind as planets, planetoids merged together in the creation of our solar system. I am, after all, talking about the asteroids, all the matter that can get neatly tidied into the asteroid belt or the groups of asteroids like the Trojans scattered around our solar system. Now, this mission is called Lucy, and it will explore, over a very long period of time, lots of different asteroids, eight in fact, in the main asteroid belt, and eight around Jupiter, the so-called Trojan asteroids. Now, this will be a long-haul journey over 12 years, and it's really just begun. It will still take a long time for Lucy really to get anywhere with asteroids for us to hear back from. But in the meantime... We wait for the Lucy mission to give us clues into the formation of our solar system. We're going to look at some science stories about bodies in our solar system, asteroids, moons, and planets, and what they can tell us about the way our solar system was formed. But we're going to start with some of the smallest things you can imagine. Not large planets, dwarf planets, asteroids, but rather really small little bits of space matter, dust, grains of them, and what they can tell us about how our solar system was formed. Now, our first paper comes for us from the astrophysical journal Letters, and the lead author on the paper was Nan Liu, a research assistant professor in physics in arts and sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Now, Liu and her team have been studying the tiny, tiny fragments of pristine meteorites and using them to help understand the way in which our solar system formed. Because maybe some of this matter from these meteorites could be from our local area, from our solar system itself, and others might be extrasolar in nature. So understanding where these grains of meteorite could have come from, and whether or not some of them came from pre-solar conditions, i.e. something from before our solar system was really a thing, is actually a really important piece of the puzzle of piecing together stellar formation. Because as you know, as Carl Sagan said, we're all stardust, and all of the heavy elements that we see around us were formed most likely in the explosion of another star at some point in time. And that means that the material had to make its way to our region of space, where after time it coalesced in an accretion disk to form the very star that we call our sun, and thus also later the surrounding matter for our planets and asteroids and you name it. But So there had to be this material, this pre-solar material that had to come from somewhere. and That's exactly what Leo and her team were using a mass spectrometer called nanosims to try and measure and understand all of the isotopes in the various different grains that they found. Now, they found some silica carbide grains, 
and they were looking in particular for some nitrogen and magnesium aluminium isotopes in these silicon carbide grains. So how do you go from a meteorite to a faraway star and knowing where that meteorite come from? Well, the trick here is understanding that different types of stars can give off more or less different signatures. If you look at the type of material produced by a star, you can measure this using a spectrometer, and we can get an understanding of what kind of fuel could be produced or blown off by that star. You can have stars that have a carbon-rich diet and stars that don't. And these will all contain then different isotopes, different ratios in certain molecules and elements that we can look for. And when we see them present in something like dust, well, we can use to trace back where this might have come from. If it matches our own sun's signature, fingerprint, or if it comes from somewhere else. Couldn't have been produced locally, could have must only be produced by another amazing fusion reactor, i.e. another star. But first, of course, to separate out in these meteorite samples what could have been extrasolar in origin or originally from our solar system, you have to clean away a lot of meteorite. And that is the tricky part because whilst we know that in here somewhere there might be a little bit of some strange material from another extrasolar origin, it's probably also encased and covered in all kinds of other dust and dirt that would have come from our solar system. So these pre-solar grains are often embedded inside these meteorites and they've been there for a long time, 4.6 billion years. So, you know, they'll get coated with a whole bunch of stuff with solar sourced material. Now, what they did was they ionized it and cleaned off using an iron beam for a period of time to clean off these interior grain surfaces to be able to enable them to perform this isotopic analysis. And they noticed that they could, you know, clean off and polish effectively these, uh, these samples and they get better readings for the different types of isotopes like nitrogen isotopes, carbon isotopes and aluminium isotopes. And in particular these are useful because they're known radioactive aluminium isotopes that can be only really produced in some pretty strange places. An important heat source during say the evolution of a young planetary body in the early solar system but could also be produced from an extrasolar origin. So finding these kind of telltale signatures in a sample can tell you where it came from. For example if they start to see certain isotopes and they can tie that back to some carbon stars that they know about that have these particular peculiar chemical compositions that they see represented in the samples. So when you analyze a meteorite you can find clues not just about the formation of our own solar system, the isotopes produced and used to fuel the generation of the heat sources of young bodies, but also from where it might have come outside our solar system and the stars that it could be related to. There's some interesting work published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters that can say how a simple piece of meteorite dust can help us shed a lot of light on how our solar system was formed and where materials might have come from by tracking and tracing the isotopes inside.
Now by studying the isotopes of a meteorite that has come to Earth, you can analyse it and figure out exactly where it came from. Not just the extrasolar origin that like we talked about before, but also what solar place it came from. Did it come from Mars? Now that's how we know we have Martian soil on Earth, not because a lander has brought it back here, but rather because we've got Martian meteorites. The same can be said with objects from the Moon, and of course, even from other bodies scattered across our solar system. And one of them is a particularly interesting one, a dwarf planet by the name of Vesta. Now, it's one of the largest bodies inside the asteroid world, the second largest, in fact, after Ceres. It's around 500 kilometers across. Now, that's big for an asteroid, but not super big for a planet or even a dwarf planet by that matter. So it's relatively large in the asteroid belt, but not in the dwarf planet stakes. But it's interesting because it's big enough to have evolved in the same way that rocky terrestrial bodies like, say, the Earth or the Moon or even Mars did. They would have undergone the same kind of aggregation and formation process. Now, this happens, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, by basically lots of stuff smashing and colliding into each other, building up like a ball collecting stuff as you roll it around in the dirt, collecting more and more dirt and clumps on it, and then through the force of gravity, coalescing together. The problem is, all of those collisions had a lot of heat, and that heat heats up the rock, creating a molten surface. Now, when this happens, you melt all the materials, the rocks, the metals inside it. Now, you end up with iron and other siderophiles, or iron-loving elements like uranium, osmium, iridium, platinum, palladium. These all sink to the center, like with the iron, to form a metallic iron core. What that does is it basically evacuates that mantle region by sucking all those heavy elements down into the core and leaving a mantle made of other elements. Then on the top, the mantle cools a bit and you end up with the skin, the crust. Now, these are all elements that you will see here on Earth or Mars, even the Moon to an extent. But when you look at a planet like the Earth, most of Earth is actually this mantle. Or, or the majority of those heavy elements actually sinks into the core. And then the mantle is, by comparison, relatively iron poor. Now, if you look at an asteroid or a meteorite, you don't see that at all. In fact, mantle-type rocks are incredibly rare. If you look at a meteorite or an asteroid, you'll find a lot of core material and a crust, but, but no mantle. And that has puzzled planetary scientists, because they call it the missing mantle problem. They're trying to understand where this missing matter has ended up. Now, researchers from University of California, Davis, have published two papers in Nature Communications and Nature Astronomy, where they tried to dive into this exact topic. And the main director of this both research groups was Qing Zhu Yin, a professor of planetary and earth sciences at UC Davis. And what they've been trying to dive into is how exactly we can track and trace all of this missing mantle. And the attention turns to Vestas, because Vestas is a dwarf planet. It's a pretty good case study to understand how and why this mantle might have disappeared, where it ended up. And the important part is that we actually have meteorite examples that come from Vestas, or at least we're pretty sure came from Vestas or a very, very, very similar object to Vestas. 
So the first paper we're going to talk about is this example where they actually found and observed rocks, which they believe came from Vesta, a very similar body, which they determined using isotopic analysis. As we talked about creating the fingerprint to help them identify these meteorites. And working with researchers Zoltan Vachi from the University of New Mexico and grad students Supertim Day and Audrey Miller, they categorized and analyzed three different meteorite samples and they found that they actually do include mantle-like rock. The rocks that you typically find in the mantle, they're called ultramafics. That's like mineral olivine as a major component. And this is a pretty interesting case. They've had three types of rock in these meteorite samples, three meteorite samples with the types of rock, the mantle type rock you would expect to see. And you see it coming from an object like Vestas. So they found some samples of meteorites. These meteorites did have rocks that you'd expect to see in the mantle that have otherwise been missing. And they actually tracked these back using fingerprint isotopic analysis to coming from Vestas or probably a body of equivalent size to Vestas. Now, of course, Vestas is an amazingly interesting body in our solar system, but even though NASA's Dawn mission observed rocks around Vestas and on Vestas, it couldn't see any mantle rocks around that kind of southern impact crater. But using a meteorite, we don't actually have to go there or send a probe there and back. We can analyze it by having it fortunately land on our planet. So how did that chunk of Vestas end up here on Earth? Well, because it's small, Vestas probably formed a really solid thick skin, a crust, way earlier than bodies like Earth, Moon and Mars, which have had a longer molten phase. And because that happened, it could get hit with things. Um, you could get hit chipped and scratched off. And because of that, actually, since that would have happened a long time ago, you get an early picture of the very early stages of our solar system and core formation. It's like a time capsule. The surface of Vestas is effectively trapping in place a set of geological conditions about our solar system from a much earlier point in time, like looking at a fossil. Now, an interesting question about the early solar system formation is, where did all the material to form Earth, Mars, the inner planets, Venus, Mercury, where did that come from? And all the inner dwarf planets, for that matter, like Vestas. You know, they could have got material from the asteroid belt. There's veritable wealth of matter that they could have sucked from and used to create themselves. But what these studies have shown is that these inner solar system objects would have got most of their mass from colliding and merging with other large objects in the region. And the asteroid belts are truly just the leftovers and didn't really contribute to forming the shape and size, rather just being the unused pieces in the kit. And because Vestas is so young and formed so early, we can actually date it back to forming you know, pretty quickly after the beginning of the solar system formation, pushing us a window back 2 million years of observation and gaining us a lot of extra time to analyze the early conditions of the solar system. This is why these dwarf planets and asteroids in our solar system are so interesting. They give us keen insights into what happened because these pieces were basically left over and more or less unused in the formation of our large bodies in the solar system, they can act as a window into the past and help us understand the beginnings of our solar system and the colossal collisions that must have occurred for planets like Earth to have been created. This is some great research from UC Davis, published in the journal Nature Communications and Nature Astronomy. 
This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Looking inside our solar system and looking beyond it by studying meteorites and asteroids and tracing the composition and what makes them up. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.